thanks for checking out Covenant's podcast. Our prayer is that God uses this message to impact your life. Good morning. Hey, let's start by doing this together. Olympics, I had them, uh, the team kind of shake that up a little bit, anticipation, Olympics coming up like on the 23rd, five years later, here we go. Um, and uh, this year, everyone will get the same seat, I don't know the best seat, but the same seat in the house. So, uh, hey, it's good to be back uh, after being uh, away last weekend for my son's wedding. Um, proud dad moment, so I'll just have them pop a picture up, pop a picture up. Here we go. Ah. That's too good looking a kid to be mine, but um, man, it was, just, it was awesome, uh, beautiful, and um, came, you know, comes quick, man. Those of you with like little ones, it's coming. Uh, faster than you know, but what a celebration. Thankful uh, in uh, my time away, uh, really as in every week for for our staff, thankful for uh, Frank last week who brought the word week after week. Um, man, uh, I, I hope you're, you're grateful as I'm grateful just for the, the, the team that God has given us here at Covenant. And um, with that, I want to welcome a new member, the uh, latest member to our staff. I'm going to have Kate Hodakowski to come on up. Come on up, Kate. Kate and uh, her husband, Joe, four kids. Um, let's see where she stands this service. Awesome. All right. <laughs> she doesn't like the spotlight, um, which may be perfect for her role. But, uh, you know, just uh, for you, your family, the dozen or so years you've been at Covenant, so I know a number of you know uh, Kate um, and uh, rejoice with me. Um, you know, this is a, a new position, care coordinator, um, but in, in large measure created as, as Mary Elzinger uh, retired and filling this role. And so now we have someone on staff paid to care. Um, you know, there's one of us. Um, but really in, in very intentional ways uh, for us working through a, a team of people, our care coordination team, but many, many of you, we just want to extend, right, God's love and care um, lavishly and freely. And so grateful for you. And, and not only do I want to introduce you, uh, you perhaps read a little bit of the, the background and the position and of Kate uh, a couple of weeks ago in the weekly, um, but I just want to pray for you and have us. Uh, will you join me as we lift uh, Kate before the Lord? Um, God, thankful for, for Kate, thankful for her family, thankful for uh, God just to call upon her life to first to salvation, then to service. Thank you for bringing them here and, and exhibiting again and again your goodness uh, to her and through her, your care to her and through her. And then uniquely in this season, as an opportunity became available, that you also worked within her heart to, to sense, uh, God, uh, a, a, a challenge to step up and to step out and to consider this possibility. So thank you for arranging that. That's you, God, and we thank you for that. I ask that you uh, would, again, pour yourself, your grace out uh, to her, and, and to the team of people that she'll partner with at Covenant who will extend care, uh, those resources, whether they're part of the care coordination team or one-to-one -one care team or uh, counselors and community members, uh, gifts that come in to the care fund, all those pieces, God, you might bring that to bear. 
you might bring that to bear to extend lavishly the fullness of your, your love and your grace to the least and the last and the lost. And so I pray that you'd set Kate apart to that, that you'd touch her and empower her and encourage her and use her in mighty ways. Bless her and her family, I pray. Bless this family, uh, those of us who have gathered together as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. So grateful for that. Hey, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to, uh, to Jonah this morning. Um, uh, he's one of the minor prophets, not minor because insignificant, just one of those uh, prophets at the end of the Old Testament. It's a bit difficult to find in your Bible. A little hint, it's in the Star Wars section of the Bible. It's there with Obadiah and Obi-Wan and Chewbacca and Micah. Um, or you can find it in the Bible in the seat back. Uh, in front of you. It's on page 763. Use your table of contents. That's not cheating. Um, no embarrassment in that, uh, but open that with me. How many of you basically know the story of Jonah? Yeah, most of you do, right? I mean, the story of a guy who doesn't do what God wants him to do, and so uh, God puts him in the, the, the belly of a, of, of, a, of a whale, and he lights a candle, and, and the whale throws him uh, out onto the shore, and he gets to be a real boy for the rest of his life, right? Right? Oh, that's Pinocchio, but it's kind of muddled in there, right? It's a little muddled. Um, did you hear, uh, though, about this uh, professional lobster diver? Did you hear this? Like, I mean, I thought God arranged this just for a sermon illustration for me. Um, like a month ago, he was swallowed. He was swallowed by a humpback whale off of uh, Provincetown, right? Uh, Darcy and I took a, a, a whale-watching tour that exact same spot just a couple years ago, and we saw seven of these whales up close. I mean, not that close, but up close. A and the guy details what happened to him in a Facebook post. He said, hi, everyone. <laughs> hi, everyone. I just wanted to clarify what happened to me today. That's pretty casual. Uh, I was lobster diving, and a humpback whale tried to eat me. And I was uh, in his closed mouth for about 30 to 40 seconds before he rose to the surface and spit me out. Now the backstory is this guy was actually in a plane uh, wreck somewhere, I guess, in South America, and he was one of a handful of people that survived that crash. I'm just like, I don't want to spend time with this guy. Uh, you know, I don't want to spend time with him. Uh, but, but with Jonah, we're talking three days. We're not talking 30 or 40 seconds, right? And so if you ask me, how can a man survive, how can a person survive in the belly of a fish for three days, the answer is he probably can't. Any more than a person can stay three days in the grave and live again, right? So, but honestly, this isn't even in my top 10 list of, of unbelievable stories in the Bible. It doesn't even make that cut. Jonah cried for help. Jonah cried for help, and, 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 and God saved him miraculously with a fish. We, we know that Jonah's like a, a real dude. We can read more about him in Kings. And Jesus himself in Matthew 12, he refers to back to the story of Jonah. So, you know, uh, he's not re referring to something, uh, you know, some uh, 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 fictional story. It's a true story. I'm going to set the context in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, you're there in your Bibles. Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3. Here's what Scripture says. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. And, and this is what God said to him. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh 
Now, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. It's a city, a great city, a grand city, an influential city uh, with about 120,000 people. And God says, announce, Jonah, my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked the people are. And if you read, and you can read the historical account of this city, wicked is an understatement, all right? The worst things that you could possibly imagine, these things perpetrated on other people. I, I don't even want to share the details. It's gruesome. So if you, if you would think that Jonah would be happy to pronounce uh, judgment against this mortal enemy of God's chosen people, Israel, you'd be right, right? Uh, but the Bible says, the Bible says, but Jonah, instead of going to pronounce it, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Does that ever work? <laughs> Can you run away from God? Uh, Proverbs 15.3, it says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. You can run, but you can't hide. You, you can run, but you can't run forever. And he does this. He went down, Jonah went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Now understand, Nineveh is like 500 miles in this direction, but he's going uh, from where he was supposed to be like 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of where God told him to go. He bought a ticket and went aboard hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Uh, one commentator said that it would take like a, a, about a year to sail from where he was to where he was going. That's a lot of running. <laughs> That's a lot of running. But some of you, perhaps some of you right now, you, you can identify with that. Somewhere along the way, maybe weeks ago, months ago, years ago, you said no. You chose to run in the opposite direction. You dismissed or you disobeyed or you just drifted, if you will, from God's word, his will for your life. Something that clearly he has communicated. You thought, God, I know you. Jonah knew God. Jonah was a follower. Jonah was a man of and maybe that's you. you. You know God. You know about God. You know him in a personal way. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you thought you knew better. You thought somehow that the word, that particular word, that it didn't apply, it didn't apply to you. Let's just get real with it. You can always find a ship that's headed in the wrong direction. It's not that hard. There will always be those ships, and they will have plenty of room for anyone who desires and, and, and decides that they're willing to pay the price to get on that ship. I had a teacher in high school who was the, uh, led the, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Christian Athletes chapter that I was a part of, I belong to, and they used to say, don't buy the ticket if you don't want to see the show. Don't buy the ticket if you don't want to see the show. And what he, he meant by that is it's harder to get off of the boat than it is to get on the boat. It's harder to get out of the back seat of the car than it is to get into the back seat of the car. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Once you buy the ticket, you're already there, and you'll probably stay there until it's too late. Jonah bought the ticket. 
He bought the ticket. He hopped aboard. And what happened? What happened when Jonah blatantly, directly disobeyed? There were consequences. There are consequences. We have choices. We can make choices, but we don't get to choose the consequences. God hurls a storm against the ship. And when uh, the prayers of the crew, because they were praying to, to little g, to, to gods, eventually to big g, but they, 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 those prayers initially they proved useless. And so they, they have to go and wake Jonah up because he's sleeping. He's not praying. He's sleeping. And, and, and then they cast lots. And the lot falls uh, on Jonah. They wanted to see who it was that was guilty for bringing about the storm. And when they asked who he was, they went to Jonah, and he was like, in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He, he got it right. He, he, he said, this is who I am. He declared who he is. And, and, and right away, the sailors are afraid. And right away, the sailors knew his reputation had preceded him. And they're like, you're, you're the cause of all this trouble. And Jonah himself, apparently he knows he's guilty. He owns it. And, and uh, uh, when the crew asks what might still the storm, uh, Jonah just says, me, throw me into the sea. They don't do that right away, but eventually they do. Um, they do. And, uh, uh, and Jonah is willing to sacrifice himself at this point for the safety of these sailors, which you're going to find is... is pretty ironic, uh, given how uh, later in the story he feels, in just a few weeks later, about God uh, saving 120,000 Ninevites, all right? But the, th the, the crew throws him overboard, you know the story, throws him overboard, and the storm ceases, and Jonah sinks, right? And uh, as he's sinking, um, he cries out in distress, um, can, I, can I just tell you, uh, you know, a little something that I hope you don't use against me at any point in time, but one of my biggest fears, I don't have, honestly, a lot of them, but one of them is drowning, okay? I'm not, I'm not a, a, a good swimmer, really. I, I, I had a near brush uh, with death in the baby pool when I was, like, 16. Um, I, you're traumatizing me by laughing. That's, uh, I, maybe I'll tell the story to you later, but... But maybe, maybe Jonah, maybe, maybe that's him. And because even though he, he told the sailors, like, throw me overboard, he said it, throw me overboard, uh, still once overboard, he panics, right? And who wouldn't? He panics. Uh, he wants to be rescued at that point. Even though he knew he was guilty, even though uh, he, he deserved death, even though he understood the, the sovereign righteousness of God and surrendered his life to that justice of God, in the moment when death was imminent, and we see this, we learn this in the prayer of Jonah in chapter 2, that whole chapter is a prayer that Jonah prays when he's conscious in the belly of that fish. He cried out to the Lord in that moment for mercy. And the Lord provided mercy. He provided mercy, maybe not the way Jonah thought he would, but he provided, you know, nature's submarine in the form of a great fish. Let me say something I think you, you, you get but you don't like, and that is that God sends storms into our lives. He allows storms in our lives to grab our attention. And, and then if that doesn't get it, 
then he may allow us to be consumed by our own stupidity, our own selfishness, and, and, and then, you know, maybe to spit us out um, onto, the, onto dry land, smelling like a, like a, like a carnival outhouse, you know? Um, I told you what that looked like in my life a few weeks ago as I was preaching through David. And I shared the darkness and the despair, uh, I, uh, you know, that I was tossed into when I flat out disobeyed God. Um, and don't think that's the only time that I have or, or I wanted to run from rather than to God. It's not. And so can I, can I again, just be honest with you? And sometimes, sometimes I, don't want to, I don't want to come to church. Sometimes I don't. I feel like, like being a rebel. I won't tell you if I felt that way this morning, but I, uh, sleeping in, you know, um, or, or going to the beach or uh, playing golf or something. I, I, I wonder what the consequences of that would be. I mean, I'm guessing they might be a little different for me than they might be for you. Um, but I really don't want to just be here because I have to be here. I don't want you to be here just because you have to be here. I mean, at some level, I'd rather you be here for any reason than not be here so that God might touch and, and transform and change your life. But I, I'm here because I, I, I love being here. I love being here with the Lord and, and most of you. Um, all of you. All of you, I meant to say. Um, what God wants, what God desires, is for his people to have a heart like his. And that's what he wants. A, a, a heart that overflows with passion and purpose and compassion. What we see in Jonah is that there are three possible responses uh, to the word of God, to the message of God, to the call of God. There are three of them. Put, let's put them up there. You can see all three. First, it's just flat-out disobedience. You can hear the word. You, God can speak a message to you, a call upon your life. And, and what we see in, in chapter 1 of Jonah, he just disobeys. There's no questioning what that message was. He just disobeys. There's also dutiful obedience, and, and that's what we see in Jonah in the rest of Jonah in chapters 3 and 4. Um, and can I just say, I think that's where, honestly, the majority, many, if not the majority, of Christians are. It's out of duty. It's, it's have to. It's, it's, it's habit not informed by heart. And, and we're going through the motions of that. But the third option is gospel-transformed obedience, where you act like God acts because you love like God loves, where, you're ex where you've experienced the transforming nature of God's grace in your life. And, and, and you're being set apart day by day as, as God changes you and charges you uh, to reflect his heart. Now, some, perhaps, of you listening in uh, this morning or sitting here in the worship center this morning, already you've recognized that, you know, there's varying ways that we can all identify with Jonah. And maybe for you, the trouble right now that you're experiencing is one that you were experiencing as a result of just flat-out disobedience. Others, maybe you're, you're empty or angry, you're frustrated because your obedience is one of duty rather than delight. And you're going through those motions, and yet you're not experiencing the fullness and the freeness that others talk about, the abundant joy. And, 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 
if you're in those two camps, maybe you're just wondering, is there any help? Is there any hope? And I just want to say to you, absolutely. 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 God, God's grace and mercy, his pursuit of Jonah shares that. E- even when Jonah's heading the other direction, God was there. God was, was still extending uh, you know, mercy to him in the form of a storm and a fish. When you're facing the consequences of your choice to run away from God, understand this, even if you don't maybe recognize it, and certainly, if we're honest, we don't like it, the storms and the depths of suffering are not because he hates you, because he wants to heap shame and and guilt on you. It's because he loves you. That's God. It's because he loves you that he brings that kind of discipline. This isn't isn't punishment. This is discipline. And this is a, a pursuit so that so that Jonah, that you wouldn't settle for less than. It's because he loves you, because he has something more for you, for me. He has purpose for our lives, a mission that we were built for and made for, that to, to fulfill a city or a group of people, that he's inviting us to, to be used by him in, 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 in incredible ways to have impact and influence. So we have choices to run or to return. We can keep running, or we can return, and we can come back. We can come back to him. We can come back to the one who is waiting right there, calling us by name, inviting us. And I pray that. I I pray that that you'll come back. If you've been running, if you've been drifting, if you've been wandering, that you'll you'll come back to him. That's at at the, the center of this entire series, that we identify with so much in each of these characters throughout the Old Testament, but the privilege of receiving the fullness of his grace and his love and coming back. Maybe there's still a question that needs uh, to be answered, and you may go, well, based on what I've read so far, what we've seen so far in Jonah, why is Jonah running? Why? Tim Keller writes, if God wants to smash Nineveh, he doesn't need a messenger. But if he wants to save Nineveh, then he needs a Jonah. As awful as the Ninevites were, and they were, they were brutally ruthless, God didn't want to smash them. He wants to save them. He wants to give Nineveh a chance. He wants to have mercy on Nineveh. He wants to help Nineveh. He wants to turn them from their wicked ways. And Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that and wanted no part of it. Odd behavior for a prophet, an evangelist, Let me ask you, are you thankful? As Joshua was sharing those great things, I mean, one of the things that I I hope came to mind is is just this reality that, that, that you, that I, in our wicked and sinful state, that he sent a messenger to save us. That he gave us a chance. Are you thankful for God's grace in your life, God's mercy in your life, God's love in your life, his goodness and his kindness in your life, his care? Let me ask you a question. Who is worthy of receiving such care, such love, such lavish, amazing grace? And who isn't? Who is and who isn't? Anyone? I I, I think that's actually a pretty heavy-duty question. Question for the church as a whole and for each of us individually. So I've got some slides just to do kind of this side-by-side comparison, if you will, uh, who is worthy of hearing the grace of God and, and who isn't, who, who is 
who is God's grace for? So let's start. Here's people who love tofu or, you know, people who love bacon. I mean, bacon is clearly better. Amen? Mm. Uh, I thought I'd get a bigger amen. Um, I mean, people broke in loud applause and stood up in the first service, but... Um, but for both, it doesn't matter. It's both, all right? Second one, people who uh, are dog lovers. How many dog lovers in the house? How many of you? Wow. Uh, and uh, cat lovers. Cat? Wow, way more than I thought. Way more than I thought. Uh, so, so God's grace is for both. Dog, cat lovers. Uh, here, here's another one. How about, how about football fans? We love our football. It's coming. Football fans. Or... or or that. <laughs> People who, who love that. What, what is that? What is that? Oh, sync, all right. So to each their own. But God loves both. God welcomes both. God, God cares for both. All right, it's going to get a little harder now. Right, uh, how about, uh, I know it's Monopoly. Rich people, all right, or poor. All right. God's love. Rich, poor, doesn't matter. God's grace loves them both. How about this? Straight people or gay people? Got a little quieter. Now, can I just say, I think the church has done a really poor job on this one. Let me say, there, there, are, um, there are varying types of sin, and I, we, we should never like water down the truth of the gospel. We need to take God's word as word. But what's, what's loudest? Like, is it, is it what the church stands against or for? What is it? And, and uh, what's the loudest message? Is it the message that you don't belong? Is that the message? Is that the message that we send, that you don't belong, that there's no hope for you, that there's no help for you, that there's no place for you, if you're part of the LGBTQ community, is that the message that they hear? Or is it that God loves you? Next. Republicans, yes, I'm going there. I'm going to go there. Or Democrats. God's grace, who's it for? Both. Man, I, I'm, gonna say, I'm so grateful, kind of, sometimes, try to be, but for, for this, the reality of the diversity, even within our church body, around this and multiple issues. I'm not grateful, I'm not inclined to rejoice when I see this. Because understand that there's something bigger that unites us. There's an authority that we stand under that is not represented by either of these groups. Amen? And that's what brings us together. But we had to extend our hand across the aisle. I heard that somewhere. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. We ought to do that. We ought to do that as an extension of God's grace and God's love. Do I have any more? I got one more. Man, it's a whole mix, mishmash of people, right? You find yourself 
in there, but people different, I'm just saying different than we are. They're they're different age or different gender or different ethnicity, whatever it is, whatever it is, God's God's grace, message of his grace is meant to be extended to every single one, to you and to me, person to your left and your right, in front of you, behind you, your neighbor, you can take it down. The story of Jonah, the story of Jonah, church, isn't about Jonah or a whale or a worm or or the wind. It's about God. It's about God, a great and gracious God. The book of Jonah begins and ends with God's grace for people that don't love God. The book of Jonah, it begins and it ends with God's grace for people that don't love other people. In chapter 3, it says that God gives Jonah a second chance of obedience. The God of the the second chance. He gives him a second chance, and he sends his evangelists uh, to the most unlikely, and at least in his eyes, the most undeserving, um, and he preaches. And as the story goes, the people, all of them, they repent, and then God relents. All right? Verse 10 says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Then comes the key to the book, and, and, and it's an odd, strange ending, and a lot of people, as they view Jonah, like, just skip chapter 4. Just don't make that a part of the story. It's, it's not how I would write the end, how you would anticipate the end of the book being written, but it gives us a clue as to what was really going on with Jonah way back in chapter 1. It fills in the gap for us as to why he didn't go, and we thought, hey, it was all about he hated Nineveh and their destruction, but here's what we read, why he headed to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Jonah 4, 1 to 3. This change in plans greatly upset Jonah, that it wasn't about their destruction. And so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home, again, going back, didn't I, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted you would do is actually going to come to pass. This is bizarre, I think, isn't it? It's just bizarre. Jonah's actions, like, they just don't line up. It's a contradiction. It really is a great contradiction. In essence, what Jonah is saying here is that, God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for forgiving my my pride. Thank you for forgiving me when I disobeyed and I ran off in the own direction for my selfishness and for my comfort. Thank you for forgiving me. But I will never, ever, 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 ever forgive Nineveh. Jonah was angry because he had been hurt by Nineveh. That's true. But it was also because he felt entitled and superior to Nineveh and didn't believe that they, they deserved what he had, reser- had, had received. Two things. Have you ever been hurt by someone? Of course you have. I have. We all have, right? I've been hurt. 
And so you, you feed on that bitterness and that vengefulness. And I don't have time to break it down this morning, but you know what the Lord is calling you to do, right? To forgive. It's the only way you're going to be set free. You've got to forgive. Now, forgiving doesn't mean that the relationship is restored, that it's reconciled, that they all of a sudden turn from their, their ways, that they even acknowledge it. But that's what we're commanded to do. And, 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 and not as a response of like, like you know, when I, I would say to my boys, that's my older boy, and, and so I'd say, hey, you guys need to uh, kiss and make up. Uh, actually, the kiss part didn't work. Shake hands, make up, right? You say that if you had kids? Shake hands. And, and so my older boy would grab, you know, his brother's hand and squeeze it just as hard as he could. And, uh, and, and then they'd go out and they'd play football. My sisters would, you know, hug and never talk for two weeks. Um, or at least share clothes with each other for two weeks. And that's how that worked. Uh, but like, it, it can't be like forced. That's, that may be dutiful obedience, but he's talking about gospel-transformed obedience where you act like God because you love like God, because the grace of God has transformed you and it fuels you and it moves you and it changes you. Not only who you are, but as a result of who you are, what you do. Let me ask you the second part of this. And, have you ever felt superior, a little harder? Have you ever felt superior to someone else? Hard to acknowledge if that's true, but morally or socially or ethnically, spiritually, economically. I mean, I, I, man, do you get how messed up that is? It's just messed up, man. It is, right? Uh, that, that somehow by looking down at others, that, that makes us bigger and better knowing that we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross, that we've all been made in God's image and, and that we all stand guilty, that our righteousness is but filthy rags, that we all stand in desperate need of God's forgiveness and God's grace and God's love when we stand before a righteous God. Any superiority in that, in that position, that posture? Jonah was a contradiction. And how he saw himself and how he lived didn't line up, and he needed a change of heart. But, but Jonah, maybe like, like us at times, I know it's been me at times, we're slow learners. And so another lesson is coming. Some of what makes us slow as learners is, you know, anger does and pride does and, and resentment does. Lack of forgiveness. And, and so, but here's what happens in verse 4 the Lord asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? And I, I, maybe it's just me as I read that, I'm like, Man, the Lord is like casual. <laughs> and he's like, Hey, Jonah, let's just have a convo here about this. And, uh, and I'm like, For real? Like, like 120,000 people repented. Come on. What are we supposed to do? What, what would you expect to see happen in chapter 4? A party would break loose. I mean, if that was someone today, like, they'd be all over the news, right? They, 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 I mean, we'd be celebrating them. We'd be flocking to them. And, and here's Jonah. Part of the greatest revival, maybe, of all time. And, and there should be a party, but not, a, not the kind of party that Jonah's throwing. He's throwing a self-pity party, Right? Jonah sits and he sulks. Jonah's playing the quiet game. You know what I'm talking about? The kind of game that you'd have your kids play in the back of the car when you're on a long road trip, and you're like, hey, let's see who can be quiet the longest. You guys ever do that? I mean, he's like, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and sulk, right? 
Jonah's taking the ball. He's going home. Jonah is what I would call a, a, a man-child. Even though God had showed him mercy again and again, undoubtedly countless times, he did not want their deliverance. He wanted their destruction. He was a hardliner, and he saw God at this moment as being soft. And so in verse 5, it says that Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah goes outside the city to sulk. Now, what does that remind you of in the New Testament? Anyone? Right? New Testament uh, equivalency of Jonah is the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The lesson is the same. The younger brother, he squanders his inheritance through immoral living. And all the while, the older brother is thinking how superior he was to the black sheep in the family and how much he deserved whatever his father would lavish on him. But when the no-good brother comes home, what happens? Well, the, the, the father puts a ring on his finger and a coat on his back and, and, and kills the best calf for him and throws a party. And the older brother hears about it and wants nothing to do with it. He, 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 he goes outside, just like Jonah went outside of the city of his home, and he sits and he sulks. Because the father had shown mercy. Apparently, Jonah hadn't learned anything in the belly of the fish. So now God provides a plant to give Jonah shade. And next, he provides a worm to kill the plant and to ruin Jonah's shade. And then he sends wind and heat to make Jonah miserable. What is going on? Just an odd passage of Scripture. And Jonah, though, to that what was going on, he has two responses. He's angry. He's angry that his shade is gone, and he evidently pities the poor plant that's been consumed by the worm. And God has him right where he wants him. Verses 9 through 11. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Jonah replied, Yes, <laughs> even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there? It came quickly, it died quickly, but Nineveh, more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah is suicidal over a plant. Guys, he's suicidal about a plant. I mean, I, nothing against those of you plant lovers, okay? All right? But it's ridiculous. But here's what it points to. Jonah thought it was all about him. Jonah thought it was all about him, his comfort, his anger. He just wanted to put his feet in, his, in the sand. He wanted to grab a cold one in his hand. He, he wanted to, you know, crank up Jimmy Buffett, and he wanted to watch the fireworks. And by fireworks, you, you, I'll let you fill in what, what he meant by that. He was happy to serve the God who called Israel their chosen people. He was happy to serve the, the, the Lord who provided a whale and a plant, but not the God who sent a worm or the wind and certainly not the God who showed mercy to his enemies. My question is, is life all about you? Is it all about me? And don't flippantly answer the question saying absolutely not until you've done at least a little reflection, you've dug deeper, and asked, is there any contradiction 
in what you would say and how you live? Is it all about your house? Is it all about your money? Is it all or mostly about, about where or what you want to eat or um, where you want to go or whether you're married or not married? Is it all about your work? Is it all, all, all about your kids? Have you centered your life in those kinds of things that bound those things? Do you find your joy, your happiness in those things, your meaning and purpose in and through those things? All about the privileges that you enjoy the entitlement that you, you have. The reality is, is that we are all selfishly bent. That's just the truth, all right? And, it can, and we can all act like it's all about us. Jonah is lying on the ground in a fetal position because he just lost his plant. Poor guy. Poor guy. And I think God is like, Jonah, it's not really about you, dude. It's not about you. It's not about your anger. It's not about your unforgiveness. It's not about your plans. Life is about God. Life is about God, a God of mercy and grace for us and through us to others. It's about Nineveh. What's Nineveh? Nineveh isn't a place. It's a people. It's you. It's us. It's, 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 um, it's our, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, people like us, people completely different than us, black, white, red, Brown, men, women, children, Republicans, Democrats, straight, gay, dog people, cat people. The most unlikely and maybe in our eyes, from our perspective, most undeserving. Can you guys imagine, just imagine with me what it would be like If we came together as individuals, but then collectively the church and said, God, I'm not going to run anymore from you. I'm going to run towards you, and I'm going to run to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Nineveh. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how painful and hard it is. I don't care what the results might be or might not be. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go. I'm going to go as I've been commissioned and called and, and gifted to go and make disciples of all nations, every tongue and tribe, Every people. I'm going to do that to my neighbors, my friends, my, my family, my coworkers, my classmates, my enemies. I'm going to set aside my biases. I'm going to set, my, set aside my, 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 my racism and my, my favoritism, my nationalism, my privilege, and I'm going to show mercy and I'm going to, I'm going to share a message of grace. Can you imagine? What might break out in your life, in the life of this church, and in our community? Can you imagine? Not because of us, but because of God. I'm going to invite Jonathan to come as we get ready to close out. But there, there are, as I said, all kinds of lessons in the book of, of Jonah. And this week, kind of a short week, as I got back, Wedding had a, a you know funeral. I'm like, it's only four chapters. How hard can it be? Uh, <laughs> it's packed, right? But but when I boil it all down, most of of the book points not to a a, a wayward prophet or a great fish or a hungry worm or a repentant sailor sailors and a king, but to a great God, to a great God, a kind, gracious, and merciful God, Jonah. Jonah points to Jesus. 
Jonah points to Jesus, to the full measure of God's grace, to the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross, where it shows the wideness of his mercy, the measure and the length to which his love will go in pursuit of us and through us to others. Jonah ran from his enemies. Jesus ran to them. Jonah was on a mission of revenge and Jesus on a rescue mission because he loved them. Jonah was all about his own self-protection and preservation, but Jesus poured out his life in self-sacrifice. Jesus Christ stepped into this world. He clothed himself in flesh, and he laid down his life so that his enemies could be restored to a relationship with God by faith. So that you and I, so that we could be saved by grace and through faith. Amen? How? Given such great and good news, how can we withhold God's grace from others? How can we do anything less than love our neighbors and carry the gospel to them? God's grace for people who do not love God. God's grace for people that don't love others. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Before we pray, I invite you to stand. Let's, let's sing about it.